Hello everybody, this is Jill Renee Feeler and welcome to today's message. I'm a little nervous about this one, I'm going to be honest with you, um, <laughs> but I've been nervous before and actually sometimes these are my favorite messages, so welcome to today's podcast. I am Jill Renee Feeler and what we do here is I love to uh, share messages and inspiration to help you realize that there's far more available to us here literally as the human race, when we get out of our uh, physical five sensory sort of experience and allow for more of our uh, divine consciousness, divine energies, source energy into our humanness. And for probably about a year, I've had this interesting connection with Pythagoras, uh, the mathematician, but he was so much more than that. And he came through in a session this weekend on Sunday morning, or was it yesterday? may have been yesterday. <laughs> anyway, all the days are kind of blending together in a timeless way. Um, anyway, so as he was coming through yesterday, I was, as I was pondering this morning what we were going to do, um, I feel this uh, benefit of uh, my alliance with him and <sighs> letting a message come through from that space. So um, I know for some of you that are new here, it's like, what the hell is she doing? Uh, you may want to just hang on a minute and just let part of you uh, possibly think I'm crazy. Um, I may may show you otherwise. You, you'll, it's your decision. You know, you get to decide for yourself what it is. But what we're offering has uh, been proven, proven results for uh, thousands of people across the planet. So anyway. Okay, so let's uh, connect within ourselves here. I encourage you to take some nice deep breaths. Okay. And while you're just focusing on your breathing, I'll remind you that you are far more than your human experience. You are far more than the human you that is sitting in that chair or on your walk or on your run or driving in your car right now. So what else is there? That's a fun thing to be curious about. Okay, good job. Staying right there with those breaths. Good job. So what if you have access to more of this divine range than you've been told by your teachers, by your family, by your uh, spiritual guides, whether they be ministers or pastors, whatever. Okay, what if there's a backdoor into a version of, I want to say a supernatural you that you've always had access to? It's just that in this reality, we get distracted, we get busy, and we've been misinformed. Okay, beautiful. I can hear Samson. He's laying right behind my chair. <laughs> Very good. He's kind of groaning and getting comfortable. Oh, God. Samson's my golden retriever, by the way. Okay. All right, so another nice deep breath here. Okay, hang on. We are going for a ride. Okay, here we go. So I had shown Jill... Years ago, sorry, I'm going to close the video here. If For those of you that are live, if you can see your video, so can everybody else. 
and I respect your privacy and that you may not know that. So just wanted to take a second and uh, close that somebody's video there. Okay. All right. Okay. Hmm. I had shown Jill years ago that the way that math, mathematics is taught and even done by the pros in your timeline, that it was sort of a sad version <laughs> of um, the mystery of mathematics and the language of numbers, the beauty of the language of mathematics. And from my perspective as Pythagoras, it had been sort of mechanized and boiled down to a litany of formulas to follow. And there's no joy in that from, from the experience that I had with the mathematics. And There are so many metaphors that, that we could offer here. Let's throw out a couple. An artist, um, a, a painter, would be very unsatisfied with a, with a paint-by-numbers sort of experience of do this, do this color here, do this color there, and then let's, let's see what you come up with. There's not, there's not a, a sense of heart and soul in that experience. It can be fun for a child, um, but not all children would even be entertained by that. So that's one um, example of, of the distinction between how I know the language of, of mathematics and how I see math being done on your planet at this time. Another example would be a master chef having to follow a recipe to the letter, to the T without being able to, to stray into their own sense of curiosity about what if I change it this way? And what if, I, uh, what if I add this? What if I leave out that? What if I make the substitution? Um, that sense of authority and curiosity about mathematics and the, the actual meaningfulness of the numbers and of the formulas is somehow lost. And my explanation to Jill when she asked how that happened is that there was a desire for um, westernized, particularly societies, in their um, passion for education and having education available to more individuals of varying natural propensity for things like, like mathematics to simplify it. And then simplifying it, this heart and soul of it was lost. What I pointed out to Jill about a week ago is that this isn't true of just mathematics. This is also true in healing. If you look at the medical practice, um, from my perspective, all of those who chose um, a career in nursing or um, uh, becoming a doctor or anything related to the healthcare field that it was a personal investment in terms of their time, energy, and even money to get all of that education required to be seen as the expert in that field. That again, it, the, the process of, of teaching that healing skill of modern day, quote unquote, medicine is also very mechanized. It's very, 
And again, the heart and soul is lost. Now, any true healer, whether they are um, a healer by by practice in and in a more official capacity like a doctor or nurse, or in a less official capacity as an energy healer, etc. Any of those that are very, very good at their field will tell you that there is a divine inspiration that sort of pops in when they really need it. When their training doesn't, it isn't enough. their trust in that divine inspiration, the more that they trust that, the more their sense of divine mastery is revealed. Where when there is a positive outcome, and they can't even possibly explain to that patient or to that family, how they did what they did, that a force, a higher force, a source of energy that's, that's beyond them in their humanness was a part of that process. Their brain probably can't explain it. And depending on their level of consciousness, they may not even want to be curious about what magic, what miracles happened there. So we're talking today about more than mathematics, about more than medicine, about more than healing. We're talking about everything going on within humanity that has been boiled down to a degree that there's no mystery. There's no magic. The good kind of magic that comes straight from source energy that isn't about a trick. It's about divine results that defy logic and defy rationality, the unexplainable supernatural results where humans say, wow, look at what we just did right there. That's amazing. That's good. That's beautiful. Let's try and be that more and more. (sighs) So going back to the concept of the study of mathematics. Um, And this, again, came through in a different uh, private session recently for Jill. Somebody had said that they didn't feel intelligent. It breaks my heart that many of you have considered yourselves less than smart, unintelligent, maybe even stupid, because you either didn't want to follow the formulas of mathematics or you didn't grasp this step-by-step, paint-by-numbers version of science that, that is on your, on your planet right now, that, that that didn't resonate with you. Maybe it didn't make sense. Maybe there's a reason it didn't make sense. Because it, it's not that it was taught incorrectly. It was taught incompletely by well-intended individuals that were just trying to help you get to a level of basic knowledge or even advanced knowledge Um, as quickly as they could with the time that they had allowed. It's my perception that most of the the teachers of science and mathematics on the planet, they're also missing out on that soulful connection with the material, with the matter of matter. A written formula two times two equals four has no soul. It's like paint by numbers. Jill had the opportunity with her great nephew um, 
this weekend he is in third grade and he's just, or maybe it's second grade, he's just starting to learn multiplication. Um, and Jill had heard uh, from her parents, who, um, whom he lives with, that he was getting into some more intimidating math and she was sitting next to him and said, uh, he, they were over this weekend to her house and she said, so I hear you're getting into multiplication and math. And he said, he kind of looked at her strangely, he said, we're doing times. And she said, yeah, that's multiplication. Um, and he said, yeah. And she said, you know, um, multiplication is really just, it's just a square. How many high and how many wide? That's all it is. So don't let that little X freak you out, Chase. And he kind of, he kind of smiled. Um, who knows what effect that sort of um, insight will have on him or may have on any of you. But the visual representation of what the mathematics is, the formula was the outcome of explaining linear and nonlinear relationships. The formula isn't the starting point, it should be the end point of what's, what you're trying to uh, depict and explain and understand in a way that, that can be replicated. That the replication is the, the formulas are, are beauty, but they're the outcome, they're not, they're not the input. That's not, that's not even the beginning of the story, and it's certainly not the end of the story. The beginning of the story is, is the visual representation of it in your world. Or the sensory interpretation of it for the things that you cannot see in the, the invisible world, the non, or at least not visible to the human eye. You see how it's, it's, it's an art, it's, it's, it's magical, it's, it's supposed to be fun, it's supposed to be interesting, not a bunch of facts and figures stored in the short-term memory that are likely to be dumped every night at sleep or clung to at least during the, the years of, of programming that is called school. <sighs> so I'm not trying to beat up the teachers. I'm not trying to beat up the teachings. I'm intending to point out what's missing. And for those of you that have felt like you weren't smart enough to be good at math or science, I'm trying to encourage you that, that maybe it wasn't you that was the problem. And maybe you're much smarter, maybe you're even more genius than your teachers saw in you. Maybe you don't like to follow rules, even so-called mathematical rules. Okay? So hopefully your genius is showing up in other ways, even if it wasn't showing up in that math classroom or that science room. Okay? Hmm. Some of you that stick with it, that stick with the mathematics and the science, or still somehow feel an affinity to it, even if you didn't feel like you were very, very good at it in your humanness, there's a reason for that. It's a wonderful part of the, what is amazing about physical matter, about physics, about matter, about the cosmos, the physical cosmos in which you currently call home as your human. Let's take a nice deep breath right here, please. Whew. 
So my advice to you in this regard is if you've been walking around with a story that you're unintelligent, I encourage you to rethink that. That perhaps you're even smarter than your human counterparts, that you realize there was some sort of a shady scam going on with all of these mathematical formulas without visual representations to accompany them, to provide the depth to the, their relevance in your world. Okay. Okay. I do have another intention, and that's to inspire those of you that have wonderful ideas for your world, that you give yourself the credit that you deserve for the mastery that you have access to. Mastery and genius that your so-called experts on your planet may not be able to see or validate in you, but somehow you know it's there within yourself. You feel it, you sense it, and you want to trust it so badly. What if you just did? What if you just began to trust all of that? And that even for some of you that have expertise in one discipline, that you give yourself a little more permission to explore your perhaps grand ideas in fields that aren't related to your expertise that are something totally different, but that somehow you have a passion or an interest in. Wonderful. The range of humanity is part of its joy. So this intense specialization within humanity of, oh, I am this, or I am that, or you are this, or you are that. The fact that I am known still as Pythagoras, as, as a mathematician and a creator of, of one formula for the area of a triangle is just so funny and baffling and yet completely understandable given how humanity is functioning right now. This idea that you have to pick one career in one field and that, that even a hobby in an unrelated field is, is a distraction, um, that's not fun. And some of you prefer to know yourself as a bit of a renaissance man or woman, a renaissance person. That you do have a wide variety of interests and that that doesn't create lack of focus, it perhaps even gives you a hyper-focus in certain areas, whatever you happen to be focusing on at that time. There we go. Okay. <laughs> I see some progress here energetically. And uh, so you don't have to be one thing. Please don't. Please don't be one thing. Yeah. It's okay to explore beyond. Some of the most radical breakthroughs in any field of study have come through when one is not experiencing that field, when they're doing something totally different. Even in the realm of sports, uh, Jill was watching this, um, this interview with a soccer, pro soccer player, and the interviewer, it was Joe Buck, was asking her about her childhood experiences with soccer. And she was saying, oh, no, I didn't. I didn't play soccer as a kid. I played basketball, and I played this sport, and I played that sport. I didn't pick up basketball until much later. 
Isn't that amazing? And yet there are a couple, a couple specific examples in Tiger Woods and Serena and um, Venus Williams that they had been trained by their fathers in this case from a really, really young age to be absolutely amazing in a particular sport. Um, that doesn't happen for everybody. And I will give you a little tip here. How do I want to say this? My view of the higher selves of Tiger Woods, Venus Williams, Serena Williams, is that as their higher self, they had a passion and an interest for their certain sports. Yes, a higher self can have an interest in a sport. And they like whispered in their father's ears and showed them an image of, you know, if you start me off really, really early, I could break all the records in, in that space. I could inspire individuals to be their best, hopefully not in just that sport, but in what's possible for anything. That I could be potentially hopefully a positive role model for dedication and hard work and focus and passion and joy. Okay. So the linear equation would, and many parents have fallen into the strap trying to replicate the results that Tiger's dad offered Tiger and Venus and Serena's dad offered them. They're trying to make it a formula. Well, they're so good because their dads got them out on the tennis court or on the greens at such a young age. That's not why they're good. It's much, much more than that. <laughs> okay. My sense is, as Pythagoras, they would have been in at the top in the top of their their game, no matter when they started but they wanted to start young. So they did. Is it by accident? No. Did it have to be that way? Could it have gone other ways? Of course it could have. It just didn't. It went this way and it works and it does provide an amazing story, but that isn't why they're amazing. Okay. Very good. Okay. Let's, uh, Jill needs a drink here. Okay. Hmm. All right. So what else do we want to talk about here today? Okay. Good. Thank you. Pythagoras. He's just saying, that's all I had. Thank you, sir. Anytime. Okay. Ooh. All righty. How we, oh, we're just at 25 minutes or less. I love that. Okay, so what else do we want to do here? Maybe this is a short message. I'm totally cool with that. Yeah, that feels good. Let's have it be a short message. Um, so in terms of announcements, 
I feel like I'm switching gears a little too quickly there. <laughs> sorry, sorry if that's the case. You can go back and listen or pause it if you're listening to the replay and just have you have your moment of what do you want this to mean to you, right? Yeah, what do you love? What do you want uh, to reconsider about your story? Where is your upgrade and who and what you are? And uh, reconsidering um, that you weren't good at something. Maybe you're maybe you were far better than you realized at it, and um, your teacher wasn't the right teacher for you and that maybe there's no teacher on the planet that could teach it to you in a a soulful way that you deserve and that you expected and that would have truly been um, an alliance for you for exploring that uh, field of interest and study in this reality. Okay. Okay. (laughs) There we go. All right. So what's coming up? Um, I got something in the mail on Monday. <gasps> it came. My third book. Oh, I'm so proud. Oh, you guys, it feels really good to have your thing in print. Um, this was my first book, by the way, Openly Divine. When I did this, I was my audience was much smaller. Um, this is a beautiful book, though, too. It's ba- It's kind of like poems. It's my favorite quotes. Um, from my work at that time, I think we did this around 2012. Anyway, it's a, obviously a quick read. It's more like poetry and the images are lovely. They're from Sea Angel 12. She and I had a great partnership at the time. Yes, it's great. Anyway, so that one, uh, you may like, and the second book, the reason I'm going through these is that some of you said a third book. <laughs> I didn't know you had a first and a second book. Okay. (laughs) Um, The second one was um, Stepping into the Platinum Age, a firm foundation for your light. And that one was also a collection of writing. So it's more like, um, in a way, essays. Um, Good stuff in that one. No pictures in that one, just words. Um, And then this one is also more words. And it's based on a course that we taught a few years ago. And then I added, um, we synthesized it to be more uh, book friendly. And I added um, a chapter. The intro is actually quite activating. And I had kind of some fun with the acknowledgments <laughs> too. So anyway, those are the three books. If you feel like uh, picking them up, I think they would be a wonderful addition to your library. And they are each, I think, I think all of them are in Kindle version as well. Um, and if they're not available where you live, um, they probably will soon be. It takes a while for the distribution channels to get all the way um, through the, some of the uh, places where you buy things online or, or in stores, I guess, because it does have an ISBN number, so it could be stocked by any bookstore or library. Mm, okay. Ah, that feels good, though. I, I had fun. I think I had more fun with this last book project than I did the other ones. I, I feel maybe it feels more relevant now that I've been doing this long enough where, where there's more of a response when I do a book. So there is a bit of that sort of encouragement based on responses that is motivating me to possibly do other books. And this one wasn't that hard. Uh, to do. I hired an editor to uh, to do the formatting and, and help me take a class and make it into a book form. And my graphics designer, Lathan, oh my god, you're amazing. <laughs> um, and yeah, so that was fun. So I could definitely see me taking some other courses that I've taught and turning those into a book-friendly sort of format or even writing new things. I don't know. Um, I prefer this in terms of sharing new things, podcasts, live podcasts and live classes that I teach. So 
Anyway, we'll see what happens there, but that feels good. And thank you for your support on that. If you bought any of these books and you love them, I do appreciate you leaving a review. I don't like to hustle for that kind of stuff. I know you're busy, but if you are led to review, leave a review, I, I of course appreciate you're taking the time to do that. It does help people make a decision on whether something would be helpful for them. And I believe that we're doing something very unique here. We meaning you and I together in this sort of experience. So thank you for your assistance with that. Um, there's not in, um, what's it called? An audiobook for either any of the three. Um, I talk so much. It's like somebody wants to hear me talk. They could just do this or any of the classes. So maybe I'll do an audiobook. It seems like extra effort. That doesn't sound very fun <laughs> to read my own words, but maybe I'll change my mind at some point. Other things going on um, today. Yeah, today. Ooh, that's right. Today is the today's the last day for for the early bird discount on the Egypt and Jordan trip coming up in January of 2019. So that doesn't mean that you can't register later, but um, it is by September 28th that I'll be making the decision about whether we're going or not. Um, it's a big trip and it's a big decision. I know for a lot of you to, to go that far and all those things. And I think it's like a 12 day trip. So Anyway, I need eight to sign up by September 28th for it to be a go. Obviously, I'm incenting those of you that are sort of on the fence to email me today and get that early bird discount um, to Jill at JillReneeFeeler.com to kind of get your registration like actually on the books. Okay, and we all benefit, those of us that are going, um, because the sooner we can get that minimum and the trip is a go, the sooner we can book our air travel. So thank you to those of you that are considering it. You might say yes, you might say no. Um, if you're leaning towards a yes and you want to um, talk about it, just email me and I'll set up some time for us to chat. Okay. All right. What else is going on? Um, there is a special offer and there still are some discounted private sessions available through my special offer on Beyond the Ordinary. So how would you find that? <laughs> Let's see. If you go to my website, uh, it's season 17 of Beyond the Ordinary. I think you could go to their marketplace though. So if you go, let's well try this. Okay. If you do an internet search for Jill Renee Feeler Beyond the Ordinary Season 17, I don't think there's many of the discounted private sessions left, but um, as of last I heard, there were still some left. So anyway, you may want to get those. It is, it's a crazy deal. And I love private session work. So I'd love to get to meet with you. All private sessions are recorded. I was guided to record them from the very beginning of when I started doing readings. Um, I think that was 10 years ago. So yeah, there's just a lot there. And I, I love to surprise, especially new clients that are like, oh my God, oh my God. Like, I'm so glad you recorded that. There's so much there that I couldn't have imagined. So yeah, it's good. It's fun. I love to, to offer my gifts in that way because I know what a powerful difference it can make in our lives. So it's my honor and privilege to get to share my gifts in that way. Okay. And this too, I like, I like the podcasts and making them available to everybody. So anyway, I will open up the chat room here for those that are live and see if there's anything that you guys want to share. Hi, Chris. He's saying, or she's saying, don't know, Chris, if you're uh, of the male or female, but anyway, Chris says, I got this, I got the Kindle and the text to speech worked. Oh, cool. Okay. So it's not in my voice, but it's in a voice. Oh, geez. <laughs> They're saying very dry reading, missing all the sparkles of Jill's voice, <laughs> but it works. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, maybe that's a motivator for me to do an audiobook, right? 
Okay, very good. Okay. Okay, uh, Chris is also saying that the patterns exist and are repeated throughout the universe and support structure and balance to all that is, gives humbling awe to the divine that Pythagoras recognized these patterns and was able to describe in geometrical equations as awesome. Yeah, it is high five <laughs> to Pythagoras. It's just, it's so cool, right? Yeah, I, mm. the idea that, and he's helping with this part here, the idea that, that everything in mathematics has already been discovered um, and that only the hard stuff remains, it, it just it, the only reason it's hard is because we haven't figured it out yet, right? Um, at some point, I mean, there is a, a wonderful mystery to, um, you know, quantum mechanics and, and cosmology and physics and all of you know, string theory and all these cool things that are sort of mind bending to the to the current experts. But I, I firmly believe based on everything that I'm shown, that the breakthroughs there, the breakthroughs in curing cancer, etc., they're not going to come from, they're not going to come from a linear approach of x times y to the fourth power equals z, right? It's just, or the long, more complex equations, right? Uh, it's going to come from divine inspiration, feeling it, feeling a possibility, feeling a what if about what if, right? I mean, some of us feel math and, and science is a representation of our world. It's, it's not meant to be a replacement for our world or an accurate like, oh, this is this, right? That, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, even Monet in terms of the, the water lilies and those sorts of things, the, the picture isn't the same as actually that, right? So the scientific laboratory version of, of cancer isn't the same of, of it in, in the, I want to say the host that it's, that it's invading, right? I, for some reason, I want to share the story. When I was doing calculus my freshman year of college, by the way, it's the only math I took in college. I'm, I'm a bit, I'm bitter. <laughs> There's a version of Jill that's bitter towards my mathematics professor because he brilliant guy. He could have done so much more as a teacher. I, I honestly feel like he had no business teaching. I feel like he actually wanted it to be harder than it needed to be. So yeah, I, I want, I totally own it that there's a bit of me as Jill that's pissed. Um, I'm sure everything worked out, you know, the, where I am right now is totally fine, but I'm just, I'm mad about it because I was counting on him, right? And it was um, a pretty advanced math class for a freshman in college. I, I guess my scores were good enough to get me in there. I think I was the only freshman uh, in there. But I, I know now I had an affinity for mathematics in a way that modern day math didn't, wasn't, like a fit for me, right? I knew it because there was construction going on in my town at the time. Um, and I was driving down to the university and I was driving on a road that was straight and then I took a curve to the right and then I took a curve back to straight again. So it was almost like a, a beautiful kind of uh, link. 
And I was driving and I was like, oh, this is like the mathematical formula y equals x cubed. I mean, I, I knew as I was not just like in my head a visual, I knew as I was driving on that in that through that construction, that 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 bend those, <laughs> those curves in the road, that mathematically that would be represented by y equals x cubed. I mean, what the fudge? I don't I'm guessing most people don't have that experience, right? That was way before all of this, you know, woo woo sort of spiritual activation. But I, I remember that distinctly that that was meaningful. Um, and it felt meaningful to me. Anyway, and then so for some reason, I want to share that. And then the other uh, kind of uh, evidence of my math teacher letting me down was that it wasn't until I was in more advanced econometric studies. I don't think I was in econometric analysis, but I'd already gone through statistics. I loved statistics, all those cool uh, formulas. I just loved it. Anyway, um, I it was my economics professor, Dr. Larry Reynolds. Dr. Reynolds, I love you. Thank you. You were awesome. Um, and he said, and he he I, he was very gifted in mathematics. And he said, he said, okay, so, so it's y equals, you know, we had the formula and the next squared. And he said, of course, x squared is just the, the rate of change. It's the slope of the line. And I was like, wait a minute, did you just say that x squared, all that means, all that represents is the slope of the line. That's it. Like the rate of change. And he goes, yeah. And I was like, what the fudge? Why didn't, why didn't Dr. Ferguson say that? <laughs> right? Why didn't he just say that? I mean, duh. I mean, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe everybody else figured it out in class except me, but Pythagoras uh, is going, no, nobody got it. <laughs> nobody, nobody heard that because he didn't say it. But if he would have, we all would have been more connected to the actual experience. So anyway, um, so Dr. Ferguson, I feel like I'm just ranting here. And Pythagoras is like, that's okay. Say it. I blame in some ways, I'm just exaggerating for effect here. I blame that math teacher on the fact that I didn't stay in engineering. I think I could have been an absolutely rock star engineer, whatever form of engineering I wanted to go into. Um, but that math class, I barely got a C. And I, I know myself as a, a in high B material. So getting a C was very, very humbling. Plus, I knew I just didn't get it. And I think I also knew that that C was a bit of a gift. And I could have, I almost lost, I, did I lose? I think I lost my engineering scholarship because it was a five credit class every day. It's, I think it's a hard math class. Anyway, um, I changed my major based on that because I thought, I think he actually said to me, because I went to him and I'm like, Dr. Ferguson, I, I'm struggling here. And he goes, yep, looks that way. Um, he had a beard like Pythagoras, by the way. That's fascinating. Hmm. Hmm. Red even. I'm even more curious. Pythagoras, don't you dare tell me that that was you shooing me away from engineering. He's laughing at that idea. Um, he said, yeah, I don't, if you're having a hard time here, Joel, the math just gets harder. So if you can't do this, I don't think any of these sciences are going to, are for you. Um, that was humbling and annoying and untrue is what I'm getting right now that I didn't know then. That's not true. <sighs> okay. It's all, it's all okay. It's all okay. And most of me isn't better at all. Anyway, um, so it happened fine, but how many amazing scientists 
engineers, souls gifted, humans gifted at mathematics based on the passion of their soul have been told by somebody like Dr. Ferguson at Boise State University in 1988 that they couldn't handle it. Damn it, right? How many of us have been walking around thinking that we weren't smart enough to stay in those subjects when actually we were maybe too smart <laughs> to stay in those subjects the way that they were teaching it, right? I don't mean to be judgy about it and some people are smarter, you know, that, that anyway, it doesn't need to be that way, but it is a very interesting thing to consider, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but you know, it's never too late. Not that we have to go back to uh, get any sort of degrees or anything like that. But even just the notion that we are smarter, and we are more capable than we were told that we were, or that someone thought that we were, um, is important in terms of how seriously you take yourself now. And um, how legit you are and your passions are and yeah, okay. Very good. Okay. That feels good. Let me check on some more of the chat room here. Hi, Connie. Connie. Connie's going to Egypt with us. Ah, Connie, I love you. Can't wait to meet you, person sister. Okay, she's saying thanks so much, Joel. Can Pythagoras comment on the upgrading grid system on Earth right now? Well, it's dependent on things like this. How is that so? Because a lot of the grid systems on Earth are managed by humanity and human consciousness. And that's a lot of the reason why we spend as much time as we do with Jill on topics like this. Because when the human consciousness is lifted, not so that it can do necessarily advanced mathematics, but so that it knows that it could, it could if it wanted to, right? The power of belief in your actual abilities that has been disregarded or... Uh, maligned in some way. There's a brokenness in the human psyche that we're trying to address and heal and fix as we go forward. So everyone that can leave a message like this feeling more inspired, more credible as the human that you are, that's the most broken human grid system on earth that we have at this time is the human grid system. It's lost its divinity not lost as in it, it uh, not lost as in it can't find it lost as in it's looking in the wrong place for it. It's looking in technology and, and mechanized teachings in order to have the discoveries humanity wants in order to move forward. It's looking in the wrong place. It's not looking within the divine origins of what life is for the answers. Okay, so you don't have to be of a specific religion or spiritual belief system, you could be, a, you could be a self proclaimed atheist or even agnostic. It doesn't change the fact that there is a, a divine order involved here. So the sense of innate goodness and um, miraculousness that whether it's attributed to, to God or, or nature or some sort of, uh, you know, interesting, beautiful coincidence that happens when things aren't random, and things end, end up being harmonious. That part matters less. But that the human believes it's possible 
that they have access to it and that all humans have access to it. That's an upgrade to the Earth's, to the, the series of Earth's grid systems in which you all play a role in. A guy has grid systems good. It's, it's not a problem. It's not a problem. Earth's grid systems are intact. They're within Gaia's control. Human's grid system is, is a totally different structure, right? Every human holds a, a piece of it. Every human that's ever lived, every human that's currently living, and every human that will ever live. That's mind-blowing, right? So when you have any human that's holding itself in a higher regard for what it is capable of and what its fellow humans are capable of, and not just reviewing humans from the past, like me as Pythagoras or any other um, <laughs> breakthrough pioneer of any field, but that that same capacity and ability that we had is still alive and well within the present day human race. Okay? It, you guys, it changes the trajectory, not just now, but going forward. That slope of that line over here gets very different. It, it sounds like such a cliche. Just believe in yourself. This is why it matters. Okay? So it matters to all of us. It not only, I mean, it matters to all of us from the so-called past, if you're, since you guys are in linear time, right? But it matters to those of us slash you in the future as well. We've sh we shared a message with Jill years ago called Galactic Time Travelers. It's, it was, it's in one of her remembering workshops. I think it was her first one, actually, that offers this truth that many of you are literally like time travelers, your souls that have a you, not you, you, but a human in the future, and you intentionally incarnated right where you are right, right now to affect the future in a positive way. That happens all the time. Not everybody, though. Not all humans incarnate with that kind of intention, with that kind of plan. Why? Because Earth isn't only about that. Some of you love to adjust and not play with the system like mess with it, but tinker and make it better. Some of you as souls are like that. Many, many, many souls incarnate on Earth with, a, with almost like a lack of a plan. The plan is to just see what happens. Come on, you know them. There's lots of humans that are incarnated on the planet demonstrating every day that their purpose is to just see what happens, right? They don't have goals. They don't really have intentions. They don't really plan for their future. They're just sort of winging it every day, winging it. And not like Jill says she wings it, but wings it in a way of like, really, there's, there's really, there's a complete lack of consideration for how it may go, good or bad, etc. So Earth allows for that, you guys. And souls are very curious. So, so they're very curious about what will happen to them. And that's <laughs> that situation. And it, even though Earth seems very dangerous and life-threatening and, and nobody gets out of there alive, right? But in the grand scheme of things, Earth is the perfect place to do that because the safety net is the soul can't be harmed. The soul is unharmable from the context of its earthly 
experiencer, it's human. The, the human can't break the soul. It's, it's literally impossible for it to do that. So there is this sort of weird bubble around the earthly experience, even the entire physical experience across the cosmos, that, that its soul is immediately sort of immune from if something goes horribly wrong. Um, that doesn't help you guys <laughs> that, are, that are in it and alongside these fellow humans without regard for what could happen if they make stupid choices, right? But anyway, that's a layer of uh, the earthly experience that Jill, uh, we explained it right there. I explained it in a way that is different than how she's uh, shared it before. So she's going to want to go back and listen to this because that was interesting. Okay, <laughs> very good. All righty. Okay, Connie, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. Okay, very good. Hey, Tom, uh, Tom is saying Pythagoras's message today is so meaningful for me as well. In high school, the way it was taught took all the wonder and fun out of it. They didn't even explain how it can be utilized. Learning trigonometry about uh, cos, tan, sine, etc. They never showed what problems in real life it can solve or illustrated it graphically. That's right. And Tom, most of those teachers, they didn't know. I mean, they literally didn't know how it was applied in the real world and they didn't have an, an image in their own truth system, their own human consciousness of the visual representation of those things. They were just following the, the formulas too. I've, I heard this before and I, I apologize, I don't know who said it. I don't think it was anybody in a sort of a spiritual messenger sort of mode because I tend to not do that. but. I really want to know. I want to remember who said it because I want to give them credit because it, it was good and it did make sense to me. Most teachers become teachers because they were good in school. Okay, so you could extend that further as most, most, I'm not saying all, most teachers were able to follow the formulas, get the right answer, and it made them feel good about themselves. And so who wouldn't want to do a career that they feel like, oh, I can do this. I'm good. I have some sort of uh, a gift at this. I, I could do this for a living. And most teachers that I know anyway, they have a huge passion for helping others and probably a big heart for maybe helping out the fellow students that they were in school with as kids or as adults in college that were having a harder time. It's like, it's a, like that superhero kind of version of ourselves. Well, if I was their teacher, I could help them get it, right? But if their training is limited, then, and if they don't have that divine connection of, of another way to kind of break through the, the walls of human misunderstanding into, into the power of understanding, then they're not going to be able to teach it any better, right? The way we train teachers has, has a lot of room for improvement, <laughs> right? Okay, very good. All right, let's see what else here. Hi, Martine. She's saying, God, I totally agree, Jill. I get so angry at how complicated they make math at school. It feels deliberate. My daughter hates math and has failed miserably. I was the same and I knew I was intelligent. It feels like a program. I was so confused. <sighs> it, uh, Martine, I love you. Let me hang on. I need more. I need more tea. Woo. Okay. I'm alive. <laughs> I did almost choke right there. <laughs> I'm good. Mm. Okay, so I have, I have two daughters, 13 and 16 at present, and my younger one definitely doesn't know how strong she could be at math, so I 
I'm right there with you, Martine. My older daughter, my 16-year-old, somehow she has developed a sense of confidence about mathematics and she gets it in a way that is, I mean, she'll take some AP. Is she in AP math right now? Yes, she is. She's getting, she'll get dual credit for her current year of math as a junior. And then I think she'll do AP calculus next year. So I'm really proud of her for, um, for creating a way of, even if the teacher maybe isn't as gifted in the way of teaching it in a way that she understands she's able to get through it. Does she understand it? I hope so. I, I think she does. Actually, I know she does. Yeah, because we just did a college visit on Friday and we were in a robotics engineering program, which happens to be an associate's degree, which is interesting. Anyway, we did the EE and the EET version of that, that visit at that university. Anyway, um, the EET degree guy, um, Jaron, said, uh, Olivia, do you remember the formula for, um, for this shape? And he showed her like a U and she goes, she said, yeah. And then she rattled it off and he said, that's right. Um, so she knew visually what that looked like. So that's, that's cool. That makes me proud. <laughs> Go Olivia. Right. And Georgia, I'm just, you know, I, it, she, yeah, she doesn't look to me to explain math to her. And I, I, I'm not, I'm definitely, I mean, even when I've tried to help them with math, sometimes I explain it in a way that makes sense to me, but it, sometimes it's their teacher says it's wrong. I, regardless. Anyway, they don't look to me to help them with math, but Georgia doesn't know she's good at math now. And I mean, I, I would love for her to know that she does have a talent for math because I, I know she does, but she doesn't know that now. And she may not know that later. And I trust her as her higher self that somehow she can make that work too. Hey, a lot of us did, <laughs> right? Okay, very good. It, oh, going back to the program thing. Oh, da, da, da. Is it a program? Well, if some, if some force of energy has the objective to hide from humanity, it's innate wisdom, divine brilliance from itself, then the way that we're currently being taught math and science is very effective. How about that? Is there an agenda to keep humanity limited to itself by some, but you guys, it's not, not enough to stop us. <laughs> How about that? How about that? <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, earth is weird. You guys, this is a, earth is just a weird place in many, many ways. Okay. Hey, Chris. Uh, Chris is saying I had the same traumatic C experience in chemistry and changed my major too. Damn it. <laughs> right? Oh, Chris, it's frustrating, isn't it? Okay. Uh, Connie's saying, yep. <laughs> okay. Karen is saying, so what if we have no expertise or field and feel disconnected from intelligence and creative? Oh, Karen, that makes me want to give you a really big hug. You feel disconnected from intelligence and creative. Karen, haven't we done a reading? Go get that reading <laughs> recording out and listen to it again, please, please, please. Um, and really hear it for yourself. Okay. That, yeah, I know you as intelligent and creative and I, I truly would love for you to know yourself in that way. Yeah. Yeah. You guys creative, by the way, that's another thing that's been a bit hijacked and, um, 
messed up <laughs> for us in our current time. It's interesting how often when I talk about creativity in a session, in a private session, people immediately think of like um, the arts and you know music, dance, um, paint, uh, writing, you know, painting that sort of thing. That that's sort of creative, and nothing else is. You guys, engineers, I mean, I, I had so much fun with a, um, a client that was an engineer years ago, and he was like, well, I'm not creative, Jill, I'm an engineer. And I was like, not, not creative, how many ways is there to write code? And he was like, oh, well, yeah, I guess. And I said, hey, that's creative. You created a way to write the program that got you from point A to point B, and probably point Z. So yes, you're creative and intelligent <laughs> that you did that. So I do wish more humans would give themselves permission to look at themselves as creative, mainly because if you actually look at the word creative, the root of it is create, creator, not creator, just God, as in God, but creator, all of us are a force of creation. We are a force of creator. Uh-huh. Okay, very good. Connie is saying, wow, what a message. Thank you. Thank you for asking the question, Connie. You guys see how this works. I feel like the message is complete. And then you guys ask a question that adds a whole nother, whole nother chapter uh, to it that I didn't get to, obviously, in what I was doing. So thank you, Connie, <laughs> for asking that question. Uh, Dolores is saying, love you, sis. Got to clock into work. We'll look for a replay. Perfect. Love you, Dolores. I'm glad the replay is there for you. Uh, Sherry is saying it takes many of us years to value our worth. Just being on the planet and being a loving, kind human is huge. Wish we knew this much earlier. Yeah, me too. But I, hopefully we're all doing our part with the younger humans that are on the planet, doing a better job at helping them feel significant and valuable and worthy. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a story about that in a second. But Sherry is also saying, uh, okay, so she said, wish we knew this much earlier we're a little slow learning. That's different than not being smart. It's about the stories we've told ourselves or been told. Yeah, true. Um, th this was kind of interesting. Uh, fairly early on in my, I call it activation, whatever, this other version of Jill that, that was available to me that now I trust and live from, um, I realized that when we ask a child, and it was Jesus that pointed this out to me, thank you, um, when we ask a child, what do you want to be when you grow up? It sends a message to them that they're not anything now. And that what, what really matters is their career later on. But they're just kind of holding space for now until they decide what they want to be in terms of their career. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never seen a child go, you know, start crying if somebody asks them, what do you want to be when you grow up? So I'm not, I'm not saying that it hurts their feelings. I'm saying that it changes, it can change their psyche in a way of not taking themselves seriously as a child, right? Yeah, it's just, we've got so many things upside down right now, you guys. Yeah, it doesn't make me hopeless. Um, it makes me passionate about sharing everything that I can with the connection, the divine connection that I operate now from and did in some ways then, but now more consciously, which makes it more purposeful and intentional. Um, yeah. So 
yeah, I've got great stories about my daughters. I know they take themselves seriously, and that doesn't mean that they they consider themselves necessarily intelligent in certain fields or or intelligent in general. Um, but they do take themselves seriously. And I've got this great story of have I told this here? If I have, I apologize. Um, God, it's another Georgia story. I, I swear to God, I have great Olivia stories too, but I've got great Georgia stories. Um, we're going to go over here. hope you guys are okay with that. Um, Georgia in the sixth grade. So she would have been what, 11? Did I tell the story? Please in the chat room, if I've told the story, stop me. Just say, yes, you've told the story. I know I told the story. I just don't remember where. Anyway, uh, she, I told it. Did I tell it last week? I think I did. I, uh, did I tell it? <laughs> Somebody tell me. Anyway, Georgia at sixth grade was able to stand tall and uh, uh, confident in herself as her band teacher was basically trying to bully her um, as the very experienced, very, I mean, he's been a teacher for probably 40 years, uh, bully her into staying in band and playing the sax when Aya told her that uh, she didn't have to if she didn't want to, that I was okay if she wanted to drop out. I know some of your parents will disagree with my choice there, and you're allowed to disagree with me on that. Maybe I did make the wrong decision, I don't know. But the moment of her relaying to me how she, um, just very matter-of-factly, yeah, Mr. So-and-so came down to talk to me today to, uh, to try to get convince me to stay in band. And I was like, what did he say? And the story that she told, I was just like, really? Um, and then I was just so impressed with her. I mean, just like, oh my God, I don't think, I was just going to say, I don't think it's sixth grade. I would have stood up to my teachers, but my team was like, yeah, you would. <laughs> anyway, so I was really proud of her in that moment. Okay. And in lots of moments, I'm proud of my kids. Okay, very good. All right, I think we're good. Oh, whoa, hang on. Carolina is saying, I'm struggling as a mother to guide my 12-year-old daughter through school. Oh, I feel the judgment of the system, and I know she's not supposed to fit in, but not fitting in is still so painful for her and for me as a mom. Damn it, right? Oh, Carolina, I'm so glad she has you as her mother, though right? I'm so glad she does. If it were me, I would be looking at, you know, what other options do you have? Are there charter schools in your area? Um, are there certain teachers that are part of the problem that you could speak with individually? I'm, you know, there are some te some parents that sort of just stay out of it if they have a teacher that's particularly troublesome. And by troublesome, I mean, oh, let's put it this way. I've when my kids uh, complain to me about a teacher and I start to ask the, you know, well, what's going on? You know, tell me, tell me more and ask curiosity questions so that they give me a better picture of what's going on. And then, and then I'm like, oh, it sounds like maybe they don't like you. Um, you know, and I'm not planting it. They're like, no, no, they definitely, they're agreeing with me in those cases. No, she definitely doesn't like me. Um, I, take action, right? So I know some parents, their approach is, well, you know, they're going to have to deal with people in the world that don't like them. Yeah, that's fine. But at 12, really, is that fair? Is that fair that somebody in their 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever age, the adult in the room that has control over the environment in that setting is using their power in a way that is making your child feel whatever, right? I, 
I'm a big fan of holding each other accountable. So I have, I've more than once <laughs> called or emailed the teacher and just said, Hey, um, you know, I heard, and I stick to the facts. This is what I heard. Is, is that your version of what happened? Is there anything that I can do to help with this relationship so that you guys have a good year? Um, I've had some really awkward conversations with teachers at times where I've actually said last year to a new teacher, um, that was new at the junior high that my younger one goes to, I was just like, you know, I don't know. I guess my opinion is that that feels unfair, um, that you are calling out and because sometimes Georgia and Olivia will like go to the defense of a kid that's being picked on, by the way, picked on by a teacher what the hell is going on, right? But it happens. It happens more than you may realize. So when some of, I mean, my kids are just like that. So they're like, well, that's, so they'll actually defend that kid um, to the teacher. And then sometimes it makes the teacher not like them because they kind of want to say, stay out of it. I'm busy making your friend feel like shit, you know? Um, yeah, that, yeah, I'm not okay with that. Apparently my daughters aren't either. So it puts them in awkward positions and I'm more than happy to sort of, uh, stand up for the younger humans that apparently in this cases are being disrespected, dishonored and treated in a way that the teacher wouldn't treat a fellow adult, right? Because they know an adult wouldn't put up with it. Um, I feel very protective uh, mama bear <laughs> sort of energy, not just for my kids, but their friends, even when, you know, I'm driving their friends, uh, their kids, my kids and their friends around and, you know, you're listening to the conversations and, or if, they're, if their friends are hanging out the house and I hear something, I'm, I'm like a justice warrior. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, that's unjust. That's not fair. Um, life is unfair. I totally get that. But where we can make a difference and make it a little more fair, I'm a big fan of that. So I love to say, well, gosh, if that were me, I think I would do this or I think I would do that. So anyway, have you, has your mom called? And, you know, I say that to the kids um, oftentimes and mostly they're like, no, they don't call about stuff like that. And I'm just like, bummer. I call for you. Do you want me to call for you? <laughs> so anyway, um, I feel as adults, sometimes we kind of keep our nose out of things that are actually, um, where we could make a difference. And in the cases where I've called, sometimes it has made a difference, um, for the benefit of maybe the whole class, maybe the teacher, who knows? Okay. That's it. That's it for now. <laughs> okay. If you feel led to buy the book being your light, I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, I, I laid some dough into this, right? I had to pay the editor, had to pay the graphics designer. And yeah, authors don't get paid that much, especially when we self-publish, which I like to do because I don't like to be told what to do. So <laughs> anyway, I love you guys. Bye-bye for now. I hope you like this. If you liked it and you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, please do. I appreciate that. And if you like the video or you like the podcast and you want to review it, however you're watching this and experiencing this, thank you for liking, sharing, commenting. It does help the interesting algorithms and may help others that don't know that this type of perspective and insight and inspiration is available on the planet. It may um, help it cross their paths. And I appreciate that. Okay. Yeah. I'm excited for what humanity is capable of. Yeah. I have a, I have a weird, uh, and hopefully good preoccupation with that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. Love you guys. Um, I will add right here that I had an interesting experience yesterday, actually last night 
where somebody had asked me a question about a video that or something, you know, have you, I heard you shared a message on like business marketing or something like that. Can you share that with me? And I was like, oh, geez, what, uh, in what message did I do that? So I was searching uh, my channel for my videos to find the right one. And what came up was actually a video from somebody else's channel where they'd done a tarot reading for me. It was Jill Renee Feeler tarot reading. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> that's, that's interesting. That's a little, that's okay. Um, anyway, so I watched it. It's like 27 minutes long and it was pretty amazing. And it was, she was good. So I sent her a, um, I commented on her channel and that on the video of me, uh, that then the tarot reading that she did for me, I, I thanked her this morning on that and that felt good. So anyway, I'll put a link to it here <laughs> if you have extra time and are curious about the tarot reading on me. It's pretty fun. Anyway, I love you guys. I love you. <laughs> See you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.